This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits, perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 97 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Ben Johnston from Biffy Clyro, I want to give a special shout out to Crystal and Dez, the newest Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass holders. The Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass gives you extra access to everything that I've got going on, especially the behind the scenes stuff. You can get a Backstage Pass on Patreon and it gives you access to exclusive concert ticket giveaways, monthly live streams, travel blogs, behind the scenes photos, early access to event information, discount codes to shop in the store at mistresscarry.com, and you can even submit questions for upcoming podcast interviews. We've created quite a little community with the Backstage Pass, and if you want more details, just click the Patreon link at mistresscarry.com, or you can check the show notes of this podcast. This week's guest, Ben Johnston, the drummer from Biffy Clyro, is an absolute blast. The three-piece band is originally from Scotland, and Ben and I had a chance to talk via Zoom while he was at home getting ready for the band's U.S. tour. This will be the band's first U.S. tour since COVID. And Ben and I talked about riding out the pandemic, how it affected him personally, and how it affected the band. We also talked about the impact of COVID on the band's latest release, The Myth of the Happily Ever After. Biffy Clyro is featured in a new documentary on Amazon called Cultural Sons of Scotland that captured the behind-the-scenes writing of the new album. You can get the band's upcoming tour dates on their website, which is linked in the show notes of this podcast. There is also a link to buy tickets for the Boston date. Biffy Clyro will be in Boston with Dead Poet Society on April 20th at Big Night Live. Even though I'm battling a slight case of laryngitis, Ben and I had a chance to talk about everything from running to coffee. 
his love of the city of Boston, touring, being in a band with his twin brother, and so much more. If you're not a fan of Biffy Clyro now, you will be by the end of this episode. And don't forget, there's a link in the show notes of this podcast with a corresponding playlist so you can check out all of the music that we talked about. So allow me to introduce you to Ben Johnston from Biffy Clyro. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to, you have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Good morning, Ben. Hello, how are you, Mrs. Carey? I'm good. I, I'm assuming you're home, so it's only morning for me. It's um, yeah, I'm I'm home, so it's uh, I'm I'm at three p.m. right now, actually. So, but you got a yeah. mug with you, coffee or tea? In this lovely Peru branded mug, I have a cup of tea. Oh well, cheers to you. Cheers. I think that's coffee. Yeah. You don't want to see me without my coffee. I get like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I'm, I'm similar. I did my coffee already. I'm on to tea now. It's a bit of a, it's a movement through the day. Is it tea like an afternoon thing and the coffee's like first thing in the morning thing? Is that how it works? Yeah, I, th- I think maybe that's the case. And just in, in Britain compared to the US, I think we drink coffee just more specifically in the morning. And then we'll move on to tea, which also has caffeine in it, but it's not quite as, as coffee. So, um, yeah, just a, a couple of coffees in the morning and then that's it for the rest of the day. How do you feel about iced coffees and iced teas? Is that a no-no? I'm, I'm down. I, I mean, I, I thought I was going to hate it, but I, I tried um, I tried iced coffee in America first it was, uh, and I really liked it. I thought it was beautiful, and it, it had the same effect that a normal coffee would have, but it was cold. <laughs> Here in Boston, we drink it even in the middle of the wintertime, so... <laughs> really? Oh. Is that a popular drink? Well, beer's cold in the wintertime. Coffee can be cold in the wintertime, too. Why not? Why not, Caddy? You're going to be here in Boston coming up on the 20th with Dead Poet Society. Indeed we are. Cannot wait. They have uh, ties to Boston because of Berklee College of Music. And a, oh, cool. a lot of bands from the UK seem to find Boston as close to home as they can get without actually being home. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. There's, there's a very European vibe about Boston. You know, it's, it's got, even in the architecture, it doesn't doesn't look like the rest of America. It just feels very much like home. Um, I think the attitude of the Bostonians is quite similar to, to Scottish people as well. So we've always got on great. We've, we've actually got family friends that live in Grafton, just outside Boston. Um, so we went to Boston as a family when we were 1994, when we were 14 years old. 
Um, so I've got a lot of affinity and a lot of love for Boston. And I can't wait to get back. Some people around the United States think that we're abrasive and brash and assholes a lot of the time. But I don't feel like we are. I think that there's just a, a thing that we're just very upfront and you just know how we feel when we're feeling it. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, you'll find with certain parts, maybe over in, in the West Coast, where people have like a filter on and they're always being super nice to you. And um, there's no bullshit in Boston. People just t- tell it how it is. And that's it's a kind of similar vibe to, to over here. You know, there's no ear- ears or graces involved. So I think that's one of the reasons that we get on so well. You've got a huge show coming up at home, right? Like a massive festival show that's completely sold out. And Yeah, we've got a few things coming up. We're doing the uh, Download Festival, which is a very much a metal festival. Um, we're headlining that on the Sunday, which is going to be ace. You know, we've, we've, it's been so long off the road and we've, we've started to forget who we are and what, what our point in life is and our purpose. So it's going to be great to get back on a big stage again in front of thousands and thousands of people and, and feel that adoration. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's a bucket list trip for me to go to that festival because yeah, so yeah. many of the bands that I talk to talk about those big European rock and metal festivals and that there's just nothing like it. There is nothing like it. And it's, it's, it's a bunch of metalheads all enjoying each other's company and no one's feeling like out of place for like metal. It's just, it's really cool to see everyone come together like that and, and to sort of, alternative form of music if you will to be celebrated and, and we're just lucky to be a part of that we're not a like, straight up metal band by any means but we seem to be able to fit in in just about any festival and, and downloads always been one of our favorites it comes up on the show all the time about something you just said that rock fans and the rock community seem to be this example for the rest of the world when it comes to acceptance and brotherhood and that once we scan our ticket and we go inside we're all there for the same reason and so it's all family there it is it's beautiful and no no one's being judged and everyone everyone loves metal and it's like at least at these festivals everyone loves metal and um yeah there's a massive feeling of brotherhood and acceptance and and there's this kind of un- this unwritten understanding that goes on between everyone. And it's, it's beautiful. Absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And it made it, I think, a little bit more difficult when it comes to COVID because I, I call us all the land of misfit toys, the weirdos that don't yeah. fit in anywhere else, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then you take those live shows away from us, which is where we all go to get together. And being separated for so long with COVID it kind of, at least for me, made me feel so disconnected from the people that understand me best. Yeah, that, that, I couldn't have put it better myself. It's, who would have thought that anything could have happened in the world where live music was taken away from us? I, I just, I could never have foreseen that to be a thing that would happen. And for that to happen and for it originally to be, let's say this might last a few months or a few weeks, to end up being like two and a half years or whatever it's been without actually getting back to live gigs or at least proper festivals it's been such a, a struggle for people I think mentally a lot of people have got a lot darker during these times because like you say they haven't had that camaraderie of being with people like-minded um, so it's been tough and just I just please bring it back I'll bring it all back as soon as possible and I just I'm hoping for no more waves of disease and anything else that will stop us you know living life to the fullest it's also going to inspire, I think, a lot of very frustrated new music, too, coming from the artists that have been locked away for so long. Yeah, we, we've been talking about this within our band as well. There's going to be a wave of, of great young bands coming through, young, young, abrasive, you know, angry bands 
they're pissed off about what they've had to live through right now and, and pissed off about how, how shitty the world is, to be honest. Um, so there's going to be some great music coming out of that. And that's one, one good thing to come out of Heartache is, is there's always great art. I know what it was like for me as a music fan to be taken out of the things that I love the most. Talk to me about being in a band and being a musician who is so used to traveling all the time and then getting stuck at home. First of all, where were you when the world kind of went crazy and shut down? Were you already home or were you out on the road? We had just got home. We, we'd been, we just recorded an album in LA um, and we were super proud of this album and we just couldn't wait to tour it. And we, you know, arena tours booked the whole bit and then COVID hit and it's like stay home. And we toyed with the idea of not releasing the album at all. We, def- we definitely put back the release date, but we thought after we started getting, getting more into lockdown, we thought the world would be a better place with this album in it. So we released the album, but of course we didn't get to tour it. And that was just, it was the hardest thing in the world, honestly. To, it seems weird to moan about that when you've got this, you know, this great existence that we have and we're able to be in a band. And it's all relative though, because when that gets taken away, I lost my identity entirely. I mean, me personally, I put on about two stone in weight and, my, I had no routine at all. I was turning that into day and just not not living my best life whatsoever. Um, and this was the longest time by, by, by a long shot that we'd spent together, me and my wife. So it turns out we like each other. That's, that's, that's a bonus. <laughs> that's a good thing. Because it could have gone the other way. It, it could easily go another way. It could have been like, yeah, you're you're usually away like 75% of the time and I like it that way. But no, she, turns out she likes me and I like her too. So... That was good. I got to spend time with my cats and my boy, and um, there was parts of it that was that was kind of nice because I've literally been on the road since was in my twenties. But then, then it really started to wear, you know, really started to to to, to wear on us. And then we're, we're only talking to each other over Zoom. Um, I turned forty during it. I did my twin brother James, obviously. And that was the first birthday we've ever not been together, so that was difficult. Um, There's just so many wee things that just really grated on me and and wore me down and. And I had to, I guess I had to pull myself out of hole. So I, I took up running, actually. I've got a neighbour who was um who's a running coach. He got me out and got me off the couch and um got my, my head sorted back out and I got, got got more physical and started playing the drums again. I can almost stop playing the drums because I was there was a fucking point here, you know. So I started doing that again. And I, I pulled myself out of the hole, thankfully, and I'm 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 much better for it now. I still run, I still go to the gym and um yeah, but it was definitely tough for a little bit there. Um, you said something that I'm still trying to figure out. You said you gained two stone in weight. I'm American. Explain to me what that is. That's like 26 pounds. So a stone yeah. is about 13 pounds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've always wondered what that conversion was, and I never, <laughs> I never, so I hear people say that, and I'm like, uh, I, I don't know what that is. So I figured I would yeah. ask. Yeah, I put on, I put on a lot of weight. Just put it that way, and I wasn't I, I wasn't even looking good on Zoom. I was big hiding my face on Zoom. So um, no, I definitely had to um, had to get my arse off the couch and start getting up in the morning and and find some purpose, basically, because that that's what it was like. When everything in your life is just angled towards this one thing that you you care so deeply about, and um, when that is taken away, it's it's hard to find a purpose that's anywhere like the same kind of level as that. So. Yeah, it was hard, but I, I hate bitching about it because I've got the best life, and I, you know, there's so many people that 
they didn't even, didn't even have a back garden to go into. You know, they couldn't even go out and hang out in, in a garden. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a back garden. So even that, and I live in a village where I could go walking every day if, if I really wanted to, if I could be bothered. So I feel bad mourning, but um, yeah, it, everyone's got something to about over the pandemic. It was, it was shit. Well, everybody, everybody had their own experience. Like right before exactly. COVID, the radio station that I worked at for 29 yeah. years got sold and went off the air, literally weeks before the lockdown. So when you talk about having your whole world taken away from you and your identity, the exact same thing happened to me because that's a job that I had had my entire adult life and then Mm -hmm. it didn't even exist anymore. And so then reinventing a career when I had to do it in a way that normally wouldn't be possible because of COVID and the lockdown building my own studio, putting my whole thing back together, that isolation that you're talking about, everyone had that struggle in their own way. So I think everyone can really relate and go, well, yeah, for me, it was, it was a layoff or a furlough, a loss of a job, Mm -hmm. uh, the separation Mm -hmm. of family, the loss of family and illnesses where you Mm -hmm. couldn't be together to to mourn. It is something that if you told any of us, 10 years ago that it would have been possible we would have been like you are on drugs there's no <laughs> way that that would happen ever <laughs> you would never believe it in a million no. years would you you would never believe it um it's just it's crazy and it's it's changed the whole landscape of the world and it's it's changed what everyone thought was possible you know and um what to possibly be prepared for in the future and oh man it's, it's so horrible to think of the amount of bands that just went went under because of the pandemic, bands that were in that kind of midpoint of like possibly about to break or not, and then all of a sudden there's there's almost no way of touring, there's no way of making the band any bigger, and they just they just crash and burn, and it's it's horrific to hear, and the amount of people they get yeah, furloughed, and it's just been it's been hard for everyone. I can't think of I mean there's, there's odd person that's that's been better. Some people in the in the building trade had it great. <laughs> you know, but most most people had it terrible. So um, it had to have been really bad. When you chose to start running, because <laughs> now I am, I, I am not a runner, but before the pandemic in 2019, being from Boston, it was mm. a bucket list thing for me to run the Boston Marathon. Wow. And I, I did it. And no I, I literally hated every second of it until the step when I crossed the finish line. I fucking hated it. Well done, Carrie. That's incredible. That's incredible. Now, there are those people that find Mm. this peace and runner's high and enjoy (laughs) it. Are you one of those obnoxious people that actually likes running? No, no, I fucking hate it. Absolutely hate it. I've been going to the gym more often. Uh, than I have been running I've kind of phased the running out a little bit and I'm trying to think why and I was like, oh yeah that's right I fucking hate it um, it's just it, maybe the first minute I'm okay and then I'm like I want to stop and then fair enough you do get to a point where you've kind of gone through a bit of a barrier and, it, and you're you're finding a rhythm and your breathing your breathing's got okay but I'm not getting a buzz I'm not getting a high I'm not getting any of that stuff and then when I finish I get almost ill I start sneezing and I feel terrible. So <laughs> there's no point of it. No point of it is good for me. 
other than it, it, help, it does help my brain. Like the rest of that day, I can I can think clearer. I can construct sentences and stuff. And back when I was doing no exercise, my brain just stopped working entirely. So it was it was more from a mental state than anything else. Um, but no, no, there's no like runners high or. I just have this constant monologue when I run in my head of like, you don't have to do this. No one's chasing you. No one's yeah. going to kill you and no one will know if you stop. So just stop. <laughs> and and on top of it, you're telling me that it helps your brain, which it helped mine too. So that makes me think that our brains are broken, that we have to physically torture ourselves to be mentally healthy. I think that's the way of it. I think, I think if, you, if you give yourself too easy, easy a ride, then you don't, your synapses in your brain don't fire properly and you don't, you know, you just don't think straight. So yeah, I guess we're, we're destined to be, um, to torture ourselves and it's the only way for, to find happiness. But um, no, I, I never go running on my own because I have this, this, this you know, guy on my shoulder going, just stop, you know, you can stop anytime you want. It's fine. No one's watching. And that's why I only go running with my coach because I'm on my own. I just, I don't have the fortitude to, to continue. See, when I run, I don't want to be with anyone because anyone that I'm with, I fucking hate <laughs> because I'm so mad that I'm actually running. And if they're a better runner than me, I'm just running like you motherfucker. So I can't be with anyone else because it makes me angry. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I do swear at my coach a lot, um, but that's because he pushes me too bloody hard. But yeah, I mean, it's something I'll continue to do. In fact, the, the marathon's like, just the day before we get here, I think. Is that right? Or the day after or something? Yeah. Um, you guys are here on 20th. April 20th. And um, the marathon is the 18th, which is Patriots 18th. Day here for us. Yeah. It's a huge thing, isn't it, for, for you guys? Yeah. It It's when you grow up in the city, especially because I work in radio, I always have been broadcasting live from the finish line. So we call it, you'll appreciate this, we call it the Boston Trifecta. So there's St. Patrick's Day. Of course, yeah. And then a couple weeks later, there's opening day for the Boston Red Sox. And then a couple weeks later, there's Marathon Monday. And so those are like, that's the gauntlet for your liver to get you out of the winter. <laughs> Sounds terrifying. I've, I've definitely seen some footage of uh, St. Patrick's Day in Boston, and it's it's crazier than anywhere in Ireland. I can tell you that much. I've, I've been in Ireland on St. Patrick's Day, and it's like, okay, we'll, we'll celebrate this. But in Boston, it is a different story. It's off the chart. It's a so contact sport. <laughs> St. Patrick's Day is a contact. I like that. That's really good. And that's <laughs> how we knew COVID was really bad, because they canceled the St. Patrick's Day parade in Boston. And we were all like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> One of the trifectors is gone. Oh, no. And so Marathon Monday, it doesn't just affect the city because it's a holiday in Massachusetts because it's Patriots Day, which commemorates the first shot in the revolution, the first bullet that was fired in the revolution. So we call it Patriots Day. And that's why they run the marathon that day, because they need to close so many roads across the state off to run oh. the marathon. So there's no kids in school. And so, especially with all the college kids, they get the day off, they're in the city. Why not get drunk and watch these elite athletes from around the world run by? It makes total sense to us. It does, it really does. 
it's crazy. It just it just kind of it shows you that that edge that Boston has. You know, to, to have those three things in a row, and the and the crazy amounts of drinking that goes on in Boston, which I've witnessed myself. It's um it's very much like Scotland. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and for us, when you know when they started canceling these things that mean so much to us as a city, that you know the St. Patrick's Day parade when baseball got messed up, when the marathon got postponed, and the world really started getting crazy and and people started going inside, I find it incredibly fascinating to me that you had the ability to play music and you chose not to because so many other musicians, that's all they had. And so for you to to not even want to play the drums... Mm. It was too. It was too hard because there was no. It would just remind me of playing live. It would just make me want to play live, and that hurt too much. And that's why I couldn't do it. You know, I've never been like a massive practicer anyway, or you know, on my own. Obviously, I love rehearsing with the guys, but I've never been been one to play drums on my own that much anyway. But I used to do it a lot when I was a kid, but I kind of don't do it as much anymore, which I curse myself for. But um, yeah, I just I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to to do it for a little while there, and then. When I finally got back to it, I'm like, all right, this is, this is amazing. I love this. I, I, I don't know what I was so scared of. But yeah, for a moment, it was too hard. It was just too hard. And and I, I guess I thought because of the, the because of lockdown and because of the way the world was going, I should maybe try my hand at some different other things, you know, rather than just the, that one thing that I kind of know I'm already quite good at. I thought I might try some other stuff, which I failed that miserably, but it's, it's worth, worth a go. And for someone like you, you have a very unique situation in the makeup of your band that yeah. you referenced your twin brother. You don't just have a brother in the band. You have a twin in the band. Now, I have twin aunts, and they do weird twin things. They show yeah. up at Christmas dressed identical, and they didn't plan it at all. It's really weird. You're that's, in that's a band it. where the rhythm section is twins. Do you guys have that weird twin shit going on? Big time, big time. We, we are the tightest rhythm section in the world because we're twins. But yeah, no, we got that we got that weird twin thing, you know, and we don't not so much dress the same. I think our parents used to dress us in like the same garment but a different colour when we were young. But these days, no, we're, very, we're really quite different. James has a full head of, of ginger hair and I clearly don't anymore. And um, and we dress nothing like each other. But we do have that, that kind of spidey sense twin thing where like it's generally been when either one of us has been in danger in some way. There was one time I was through hanging out with, with Simon from the band and James was um, in our hometown and he got attacked and stuff. And I was driving back into the into our town the next day and I just knew something was wrong. And, and I came in the front door and said to my parents, what's happened to James? As opposed to saying, hello, how are you? I was like, what's happened? And I just knew that it was, that was weird. Are you, that, the, are you the older or the younger twin? I'm the younger by, by six minutes. Twins <laughs> always know how many minutes. <laughs> it's weird. And it was like, it was a C-section anyway, so they could easily just take me out first. And I could be the oldest, older brother, but James kind of holds us over me like, oh, I'm the big brother. Like, All right. And he is actually wiser and smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, musical ability runs at least in that generation or your family. But do you mind talking about growing up and kind of is music something that was gifted to you from other generations of the family? Most definitely, most definitely. My my father's um, a very keen guitarist and 
guitar collector even as well. So there was always a million guitars around our house at any given point, um, which kind of led me to, to learn guitar when I was younger. And I, I enjoyed playing guitar. I was decent at it, but I kept saying to my dad, I really want to be a drummer. And he's like, we don't have any of those lying around. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I know, but can we get one, please? He's like, no, they're really fucking loud and you'll give it up next week anyway. I'm like, no, I won't, I promise. One of those things. And I was just tapping on things all the time. Um, great musical background from my parents, the Beatles and Stones and Steely Dan, Elvis Costello, goes on and on and on. Um, and we were always listening to vinyl. There was always a keyboard around. So me and James just kind of pottered around on different things both learning guitar, and then I think I was I was 14 when I finally got my first drum kit. That was after about six years of, of hard-ass nagging, like, please, please, please get my drum kit. I'd never, never even played a drum kit until I was 14. Not even got behind one because my school didn't, didn't have one. So I came, in, I came back from school that day, and um, I was just tired anyway. My dad said, can you go and grab me a, a tin of beer from the, from the garage? And I went in and grabbed the tin of beer and come back out, and I'm I went and gave him the beer and he said, well, you didn't see it? And I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> and I've gone into the garage with my head down, just grabbed the beer, gone back out, and there was a drum kit in there that I didn't even see. <laughs> so I ran back in and went, Wah! just lost my mind, ran around the house for like an hour, screaming like a little girl, and then got behind, behind the kit and just started playing. And I was, I was able to just do it. So, I always yeah. thought that having kids and, and having them want to be musicians that you just are secretly like hoping that it's not the drums, that it's just like, please, because they're so big. It's like if they want to play hockey, just please don't be the goalie. There's just so much more stuff and it's so loud. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and, and the kit he got me as well was like a nine piece premier kit. It was, it was enormous at these big concert toms and he got it for really cheap, but it was just this huge kit. Um, but I think he, he realized soon after that I wasn't going to give up. I think on about week four when I've been spending three to four hours a day playing. Um, I mean, the, the neighbours would, neighbors would have to come and ask me to stop because I just didn't want to stop playing at all ever. And I had so much love for the drums. I used to have pictures, <laughs> I used to have pictures of drum kits beside my bed instead of girls. And I think maybe that's why my, why my parents got me a kit eventually. <laughs> you hear a lot of stories about um, drummers that become singers or drummers that become guitar players. You don't hear it a lot the other way around where people grow up playing guitar and you're like, nah, I really want to get behind that giant wall on the back of the stage where no one can see me. That's it. I like, I like the protection. I like, the, like, I like this, this thing around me give me protection from the crowd. And I'm, I'm not, I like singing as well. I'm a singing drummer. So I do, I'm definitely a performer. I, I love melody. I understand guitars and chords and things, but for me, it's all about the drums. It's, it's the heartbeat of, it's of a, of the whole thing and and to get to share that with my, with my two my two brothers I call them my two brothers Simon and James it's it's the most glorious thing in the world I have a theory that you grow up and you get exposed and gifted this music from your parents like my mom gave me the gift of the Beatles that is yeah. the soundtrack to my childhood but then there's always a time in your adolescence where you discover a band a song an album that is your first step into your musical taste, that it's like, no, 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 now this is mine. This is what I like. What was that for you? Probably Nirvana, I'd have to say. Um, I remember I was probably, I was up way too late watching television on a school night. I think it was MTV Music Awards. I think it was that. And Nirvana played Aneurysm, I believe. And I just 
my jaw was on the floor. I could not believe this noise that was getting made by three people. I couldn't believe how how simplistic it was, but but how how drawn to it I was. You know, it was it was just it was a whole new thing. I'd never heard it. It was merging like punk and rock and all these things I didn't even know I liked. You know, it was it was and the Beatles, of course, because Nirvana took a lot of influence from, from Beatles and, and just classic songwriters like Paul or John. And um yeah, that for me that was it. Nirvana and then then Rush and stuff and bands like that that my parents hadn't you know let me hear before. I guess my dad liked a little bit of prog, but not, not not things like Rush or Yes. And those those were my own things that I, I got to take back to my parents and go check this out. You, know. you were destined to be in a three piece band. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> that's 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 the the two best three pieces of all time, possibly, have been rushing their van. Um, it is kind of crazy that just last week was the 28th anniversary of Kurt Cobain's passing and that he's been gone longer than he was alive now. Oh, I know that freaks, makes me feel so old, Carrie. It really does. Jesus. And then to see someone like Dave Grohl, a prolific drummer, rebuild his career. And that was something that I was fascinated by with his book is how much shit he took from Nirvana fans having the quote unquote gall to want to have a new band and and continue his career. I had no idea when the Foo Fighters came out that so many people were mad about that. I'd never heard that in my life. I, I was a huge Foo's fan. I still am a huge Foo's fan. And um, Christ, I can't think of any, any negatives at all to, to, to come out of that happening. Of course, he's going to continue. The guy been writing music his whole life anyway. Um, yeah, that, that that's kind of blown me away that anybody would be angry about that. It just makes no sense at all. What, what came out of that is an amazing band called the Foo Fighters and you know, he's not true. They weren't trying to be Nirvana. They weren't shitting on anybody's legacy. There's, there's nothing, did nothing wrong in my eyes. I love that man. And that's the first thing that I thought of when the news broke about Taylor Hawkins was that Dave yeah. Grohl was able to take something that was so tragic yeah. and turn it into something so amazing. Yeah. And now losing a drummer. I mean, that band had. Arguably two of the best rock and roll drummers ever in it. You're a drummer. Do you agree? I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, like the amount of times I've heard Dave call Taylor the best drummer in the world, you know, and I think Dave's the best drummer in the world. So there you go right there. It's like two of the most influential rock drummers of all time. Um, you know, Dave changed the face of drumming for me entirely. And then Taylor, was like a, Taylor had a different vibe to Dave, but was able to, to almost do what Dave could do as well. Um Tragic, absolutely tragic that he's gone. Very saddened by it. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what a band. And also, who would want to be Dave Grohl's drummer? That's just, that's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. I'm fascinated <laughs> by this ping pong that happens, that this this ball of rock and roll keeps getting lobbed across the Atlantic. and uh. that And that the inspiration from America to the UK... And then it gets lobbed back and forth. And you talk about all of the the blues and the early stages of rock and roll in the U.S. that inspired the Beatles. And then back yeah. and forth and back and forth. It. I hope it doesn't end, but I just wonder, like, where the hell is this ball going to get sent to next? Because these bands just keep inspiring each other back and forth. I know it's, it's incredible because there's, like, there's really quite a distance between us. That the pond's quite big. But you're right, even from like metal starting in, in like Birmingham, getting inspired in bands over in America and then 
like you say, there was loads of stuff back at the start with the Stones and the Beatles and it's back and forth, back and forth. Growing up, we were inspired almost exclusively by American bands. I mean, we, we didn't even listen to any British bands. There was Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and, um, Sunny Day Real Estate and Mineral, and all, all these tiny underground bands that got nowhere, possibly even in America, certainly not in Britain, um, that we loved. And we, and we listened to almost no English bands at all. We actually kind of disliked English bands. Um, it's so weird that it goes that way. But then now... Obviously, our minds are way more open now. And we, there's a lot of British stuff we like now, and we realised we were just being obstinate little guys. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a great relationship that we have, I think, with Americans and the Brits, and long may it continue. It uh, it's something where it's it's like you you take it for granted something that is already around, and you and you covet things that oh, it's 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 from across the pond. It's it's imported. Yeah. yeah. And and so you have this reverence for it. I asked Gavin Rossdale from Bush this question a few years ago. I have my GPS on my phone set to a British accent because when it's giving me directions, I think it's more polite that it tells me where to go with a British accent. That's true. <laughs> and then I asked Gavin Rossdale, is that the same in reverse? Is your GPS set to an American accent? And he just looked at me and he was like, yeah, why is that? <laughs> I guess it's, I guess if it's too close to home, it seems too too abrasive, or if it's something you're, you're used to, you might, might it might sound like your mum telling you where to go or something. So you change it to a different accent, I guess, and it's, it's just a nicer tone. But I, but my, I think I I don't actually have a GPS, but I did. If I did, I'd want like James Earl Jones or something to be telling me which way to go. That'd be cool. They uh they on the Waze app that I use sometimes, yeah, um, they have like celebrity voices. Dog or something like that. Well, <laughs> I noted that's a Star Wars tattoo, isn't it? This is, yes. It's the Rebel Lines right here. They had C3PO, and C3PO oh. is telling you where to go, and it was amazing. Oh, that's ace. That is so cool. I've got the ways up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on when we're on the tour bus on this tour, and I'm gonna get C3PO to talk to me. That's ace. That is so cool. I always <laughs> said that they should that they should let regional people record ways things yeah. because. Because then you could get like a, a true Bostonian giving yeah. you turn by turn directions and be like, you fucking missed the turn, asshole. Bang a you <laughs> and get back there and take a left. <laughs> I'd, I'd use that one for, I'd use that all day, everywhere. I, I love the Bostonian one, it'd be great. <laughs> oh, that's good. You're, you're in a three piece band with your twin brother, and you said you're the, the tightest rhythm section in rock and roll because you got the twin thing. What's the dynamic of songwriting in Biffy Clyro? Because as someone that loves music like I do and played the clarinet in the marching band in high school, which is as far as my musical career got me, hey, I'm so fascinated by the craft of songwriting because it's something that I just do not have the ability to do. So who starts the songs? Where do the ideas come from? It's Simon is primarily the, the songwriter. Simon, the guitarist, singer who, you know, did a away at home on the guitar. And then he, he more often than not, it's him that brings in an idea. And then sometimes it's it's fully fleshed out. Sometimes he, he has an idea of how the drums should go. Sometimes he's got absolutely no idea. Um, he might just play the riff and then see what bounces off it. Um, generally the melody and the lyrics are the last thing to happen. So we tend to work on all the music first 
Um, and we just keep messing around until until we're happy, basically. Um, not every song is the same. Some songs take eight like years, possibly, to perfect. That's happened before. Um, others are, it's like the first time you play it, you, you just get it right and you know, and everyone does the right thing. Um, and sometimes it's like smashing your head against a brick wall. So it, it's, every song is different. But um, it mostly comes from, from a riff Simon does, or sometimes it comes from a drum beat. Some days it comes from a bass riff, but just you just try and doodle around. And when we're practicing, we'll play obviously existing songs we have. And just in between those songs, it's just we're kind of encouraged to just start playing anything. Um, and then if there's anything that just kind of you know perch your ears up, we we'll just stop and go. Let's record that in the phone, and then we'll, we'll work on that and hopefully turn it into a song. But like I say, every song is different. Something it's Simon behind a piano, and he would just be playing piano and singing, and he sends a voice note to me and James, and we're like, Fuck, and boom and it's amazing and we're all on the same page and the song comes together just like a walk in the park. But um, yeah, they're not always that easy. You're a guitar player too. Um, I asked Miles Kennedy this because he's in a band with Slash. So I said, Miles, what would happen if you brought Slash a a riff? And he like laughed at the notion like, well, I would never in a million years do that. I'm in a band with Slash. As the drummer, are you allowed to bring a riff to the band, or is that just something you wouldn't do? I'd be allowed. I have, like I have done in the past, but it would, it would always get better. You always get, it would always, you know, take it and then change it and then make it better type of thing. But um, or would no, Simon I mean, I, just I, I, look I, at you and be like, "Get behind the drums." I'm, I'm the fucking guitarist here. But then at the same time, you know, like everyone's everyone's allowed to make suggestions about the drum beat. If we're sitting kind of trying to get through a song, then. I'm more than open for any suggestion from anybody because I'm not, you know, going to stand here and see. I, I definitely know. And sometimes you're too close to your own self, to your own instrument, to, to pick the right thing. So I'm, I'm happy to, 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 to take suggestions. Um, but yeah, I, I don't tend to take riffs to Simon. Simon's a fucking amazing guitarist who has written like I don't know over 200 songs, I think at least. Um, so no, it's, it's not really my place to do that. But if I, if I did come up with something amazing, I would, I would definitely take it to. You're finally able to start getting back out on the road, which, you know, you've said is something that you absolutely love to do, but it is a complete lifestyle shift and lifestyle change, especially because you guys haven't been able to do it for so long. Mm-hmm. So we know you're physically in shape because you've been running, even though you hate it. <laughs> what kind of preparations does the band have to make? Because you weren't together for a long time. No, but we, we just, we've done as best we can. I mean, what the guitarist that we take out live, because we play uh, five of his live, um, he's had COVID, so he hasn't actually been at practice at all. So we're, we're turning up to, to the US without having played with our live guitarist for um, I don't know how long, so that'll be interesting. But we've been practicing as much as we can, the three of us, um, and, our, and our keyboard player. And it's it felt great after the first day, I'm not going to lie, Carrie. It was like, we're in there, and everyone's a bit nervous, but... We played and we're like, oh shit, we can do this. Like, we've, we've been doing this our whole life. It's it is quite literally like riding a bike. Saying that, it's not the same as a gig when there's a, an audience there and and you're given everything you've got and you're absolutely knackered after three songs. So I'm just hoping that doesn't happen. I'm hoping we don't get that adrenaline dump where we go out and just spunk the whole lot in the first song. That'd be terrible. Getting used to being back out on the road. There's there's a lot of things that happen on tour that the audience doesn't get to see. And one of the things that I always love to hear about is when you go out on the road, so say you're on tour in America and you're on the bus, 
and the bus stops at like three in the morning and you're at like a truck stop or a Walmart or something, what are the guys from Biffy Clyro running off the bus to go and buy? Especially if it's something that you don't have access to at home that you can only get here in the States. What are you looking for? That's interesting. I've, actually, I've got an answer for that. That's just, it's ridiculous. I buy those cheap V-neck T-shirts from Walmart, like just like the white V-neck. Like just like t-shirt. a Hanes V-neck T-shirt. Exactly that. It costs like it's like probably a buck a T-shirt, like five bucks for five T-shirts. And I just think the race, so I'll run in and get them. Because <laughs> then you don't have to do laundry. Exactly, and you can't buy them in, in the UK. So I, I just I remember buying them once, thinking these would be shitty, and I tried them on. They just fit me perfect. I, was, I love these. I love these shirts. So that, that's what I'm going for that, and maybe some snacks, like some um, what do you call them? Those fucking breakfast bar things that you guys have. Oh, like granola bars or something? Yeah, nah, or, or the one with the, with the goo in the middle. I can't think what they're called. They've got like like some some kind of fruit thing in the middle. Oh, Nutri-Grain bars? That's the one, the Nutri-Grain ones. Yeah, maybe buy some of them. <laughs> Wait, why can't you get V-neck t-shirts in the UK? You can get V-necks, but just not, nothing that cheap. They're like dirt cheap and they're oh. super thin. And, and I like that, you know, and you can wash them like four times and that's in fuck. But like, this is all good because it only costs a buck, so... <laughs> I've heard a lot of answers. V-neck t-shirts is never one that I've heard. Nah, never. <laughs> it's usually socks because you guys lose one and you can't find them till the end of the tour yeah. and they clean the bus and you're like, oh, there's all the socks I lost. Yeah, that's, that's, that's something Dave always had in his, um, on his riders, his fresh socks. Dave Grohl, he loves that because he goes in and it's like, every day you got fresh socks. That's great. It's a good idea. When... Um, when you think about songwriting, this is a songwriter's question. So when you think about songwriting, give me an example or two of a song that you think is perfectly crafted from a songwriter's point of view that you covet it, that you wish you wrote it. But I want you to break it down and tell me why. And I don't care the genre, the artist. I'm talking about just the craft of songwriting. Okay, well... um. A song called Change by the, ba- the band Blind Melon, a big, huge band for me. They're that song, because I got asked this, this question in college. That's why I have an answer for you already. Um, that song's three chords, and it's three chords one way, and then it's the same three chords another way. And it's the most simplistic thing, but you'd never know that um, listening to it unless, unless you have the kind of musical wherewithal to, to break it down in your head. If you're just an everyday listener, you've no idea that the sim- simplicity of that song, the lyrics are incredible. The song takes you on a journey. It's it, it seems to be the exact right length of of time, um, and it just says so much in it. So that's 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 the reason I love that. Um, Modern Leper by Frightened Rabbit is I think one of the best songs that's ever been written. Um, again, it's a different kind of song. It's a lot darker. Um, it's probably it's not as simplistic at all. It's there's little bits of rhythm that catch you kind of off guard, um, but it, it makes you think. It really makes you think, and it's it's the song is it's, it's got a lot of Scottishness to it. You know, it's got a bit of a traditional vibe to it, but it's that's taken in a different different direction in a different light. Um, and I think being able to do that, being able to take like, traditional music forms and make them sound contemporary, I think that's incredible. So that that's my two choices for you. When you talk about songwriting, usually we don't get to see you guys do it. No, you don't. No. And now there's this documentary. 
mm-hmm. where kind of everybody got a little bit of a peek into like the behind the scenes working of Biffy Clyro. How was that experience for you? Was it weird having the cameras around like that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not those sort of guys. We're, we're pretty camera shy, to be honest. And we're just we're just kind of goofy, you know, we just like having a bit of fun and we're not like super cool and, and rehearsed and contrived or anything. We just we are who we are. So it was it was weird to have them around. It's weird when they when they're asking you questions on camera. I don't like that. I don't mind a camera being there and us just being ourselves. Um, but it does make you you definitely alter, you know, how you are a little bit when there's a camera on, and it's 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 not a comfortable thing for me. But but I'm really glad we made it. I'm really glad that everyone seems to, to like it and it's been well received and it, it is an honest kind of peek under the hood, if you will. And um yeah, it's the first time we've ever done that in, in this this many years. It's the first kind of proper behind the scenes making offer that we've, we've ever had. So um, I'm very proud of it. And it is going to serve kind of as a time capsule for the band, right? That like you're always going to have that that moment, that process kind of documented that as the band's career moves forward, it is something that you can always look back on and be like, that's that's what we used to look like. That's what we used to sound like. That's how we used to process inspiration because as a band, you're constantly evolving and changing. So it's it's frozen in time now. Yes, it's a lovely thing to have. And it's a lovely thing to hear because it makes me think that you think we're younger than we actually are. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying we're going to look, look back from we're 60 years old and see if you look like that. Listen, but, you um, already told me you turned 40 during COVID and you couldn't <laughs> celebrate your birthday with your brother. I know how old you are. Well done. You don't miss a trick. And um, no, you're right. It's a, it's a time catcher, a beautiful thing to have. We've never had anything like, like that lush footage. It was all shot and beautiful cameras as well. And a great camera crew that did it and great director and stuff. And it, it, the actual experience was, was really quite fun. It was weird at first, but it became kind of normal and it became fun. And yeah, to have all those, those lovely bits of footage to look back upon and go, we made a fucking album pretty much at home during lockdown. And it's, you know, one of our best albums to date. So I'm, yeah, I'm very happy with it indeed. How do your parents handle this? Because normally a parents would have a kid, like in my family, I'll give you my example. There's my myself, I'm the oldest, and my sister. And okay. she is like works in radiology at a children's hospital, like analyzing scans of brains. Okay. And then there's this. Okay, so they get these two kids that are completely different and then you sit around at Christmas and it's like, how's that whole trying to cure brain cancer thing going, Karen? It's going great. Hey, Carrie, you just interviewed the guys in Slipknot. How's that going? Like, your parents got two of you in the same band. I know. How are they handling where your lives have gone? And at what point did they stop trying to talk you out of getting real jobs? Um, I don't know if that ever actually happened. Honestly, I know that sounds so fucking weird because there's, there's not a parent in the world that hasn't tried to talk uh, their kids out of being a musician because it's generally a dead-end thing to do. Uh, it doesn't pay well and it's like one in a million chance you're ever going to make it. Um, but no, but my dad wanted to be in a band so much and his parents didn't give him the backing that, that he needed and he possibly could have made it. He's very talented. He's a great singer, great guitarist. 
but he, he didn't have that authority to him. You know, his, his parents didn't have a musical bone in their body at all. Um, so he, I guess he lived vicariously through us and he, he kept pushing us forward. And he, he's the one that drove us to our, in, our first van, to our first gigs. And he'd help us set up our, 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 um, all our instruments. He'd help, he, he was the roadie, basically. He got us on the stage that got us signed. It was a, a, a tea break stage at a festival in Scotland. So that was my dad that did that. And my mum was come, always coming to all the gigs from an early age. Um, so no, we, we never get told to get a real job. I mean, we always had jobs when like the band was just starting. We always we, you know, have to have a side job for pocket money and stuff. But no, nah, like, they're very proud of us. Absolutely. They, they love coming to our shows. They're always, you know, welling up with tears and pride. And um, I think my dad used to be a little bit jealous, but he's over that now. So that's good. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a really nice dynamic. What did you get to do with your dad as the musician and music fan that he is that blew his mind? Like, I can tell you for me, the craziest thing that ever happened is I took my mom backstage at a music festival and I introduced my mom to Dimebag Daryl. And it was the weirdest fucking five minutes of my whole life watching my mom and Dimebag Daryl have a conversation. And she literally asked him out loud, do I call you... Dime, Daryl, or Mr. Bag? <laughs> Honestly, Mr. Bag. I was oh, like, I don't even know how to handle this. So give me that moment that you took your dad somewhere. No, no, no. I, I, I've never made the mistake that you, that you made. <laughs> that story sounds like the sort of thing that my mom or dad would do. So no, I've, I've kept him well away from any celebrities. <laughs> any, any, they haven't met anybody at all. Nah, not at all. But I can't even think of one. Nah, there's not one person they've met, thankfully. Um, nope, there's not. No, I've, 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 been smart, I've been smart that way. I was like, there's no fucking way you're going to embarrass me like that. <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was just like, I can't believe. And thankfully, it was not in the smartphone era. Although yeah. I kind of do wish I had it on video because it's fucking hilarious. It's really funny. It's the hardest I've laughed in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Well, I'm so grateful that we got a chance to talk today. And I'm so excited that you guys are kind of, you know, kicking off this tour on the East Coast and that you're going to be in Boston super soon. Absolutely. So am I. I can't wait to be back. It's been way too long. And um, yeah, like, but. Christ, we've had two albums since we last toured America. So yeah, we, we need to come back and play some play some tunes for you yeah, guys. Yeah, you've got songs that you release that like you've never seen the reaction of the crowd when you play them live. Exactly, exactly, and that's that's what's going to enrich your souls and it's going to kickstart our hearts again. I just can't wait. Well, I will see you on the twentieth. Excellent, cannot wait. Maybe so. we'll go for a run and swear at each other the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, just I'll, I'll be like, fuck you, you can be fuck you, and we'll just keep going. All around Boston. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so nice to meet you. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mrs. Carrie. It was a pleasure. There he is, Ben Johnston from Biffy Clyro. If you're looking for more details on the band, you want to check out the trailer to the documentary we talked about on Amazon, and you want to get tickets to see him in Boston at Big Night Live with Dead Poet Society, you can find all of those links 
in the show notes of this podcast. You'll also find all of my links as well. And if you liked what you heard, don't forget to follow and like the Mistress Carrie podcast so you don't miss anything. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, you never know when we're going to drop a bonus episode, an after-action report when I have a guest on my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. You can watch that every Tuesday night live at 8.30 Eastern on my Facebook page. And if you subscribe to the podcast, you also get the sit reps. Every Monday through Friday, the Situation Report breaks down all your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. You'll also find the link to the corresponding playlist in the show notes. That's got all of the music that we talked about in this interview. And a big hello once again to everyone with a Mistress Carrie backstage pass on Patreon. The Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE appliances, complete with all you need to keep food fresh, dishes clean, and everything else stress-free. Making this the sound of savings on top brand appliances. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off select GE appliances right now. Offer valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. U.S. only. See store or online for details.